Good morning. I don't know how long that I'll stand before you this morning. Uh, caught a little off guard, but I was doing quite a bit of studying last night in prep for Kenya. And, uh, and I think it actually goes with a lot of things that I've been looking at over the last few weeks anyways. So uh, hopefully the Lord will bless us as we try to stand before you. Um, and thinking about many things, uh, a few weeks ago I had the opportunity to be over at uh, Grants Mill with Dad, and we got an uh, opportunity to to preach for the folks over there and had a, had a good meeting and, uh, and thinking about the theme verse of next week, uh, this, and this, you know, and, a, and I don't know exactly how I want to start this morning. Uh, other than I'll say this, that I've done a lot of traveling. I've been to a lot of different churches and, uh, I think it's important for us to, you know, this morning, if y'all heard me make the comment, I hope you didn't take it as me being rude, but you know, somewhat, you know, putting the taser in the in the pew kind of thing to kind of electrify you just a little bit because this is something when we come out to worship together it's something that we're supposed to be happy about it's something we're supposed to enjoy it's something that we ought to enjoy really get find great comfort in find great joy in and it's something that we ought to love doing together because this is a special time where the saints of god have gathered together to worship and so next week we are actually gathering for singing school those that will be able to attend and it's not just about learning how to sing good. It's not just about learning the notes and learning rhythms and all that. We're actually going to be having several worship services that week where we're going to be singing praises to our God. And we ought to really think about the words that we're singing. Uh, some of the things that uh, I know our theme verse this year is Proverbs chapter uh, 29 and verse uh, 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about that over the last several weeks. And thinking about preparation for the week coming up about how if we will keep the law of God, it says that we will be happy. And which uh, so it kind of leads me to some of the things that I was uh, studying last night that, you know, uh, one of the things that we'll be discussing over in Kenya will be what is the purpose of the gospel? And uh, I can't ever hear that phrase. What is the purpose of the gospel without thinking of First Corinthians 15, where it talks about where Paul actually says, and here is the gospel. And the gospel is that Christ came and that he died. And on the third day, he rose again. That's the gospel that we, that we love so much. And, uh, and, and Paul actually states that if we will keep the gospel in our memory, that it will save us from a lot of trials and tribulations that will often come upon, upon us this, in this life. And that gospel message is that Christ is taking care of all the sin of this world. And understanding our position... In Christ, I think it's so important for us to understand what happened in the Garden of Eden. We, Adam, and I'll say, and all of Adam's race separated, we separated ourselves from God. And I am so thankful that Christ, before the foundation of this world, loved a people, chose a people, placed them in Christ. That no matter what happened in the Garden of Eden, through Adam's fall... He still loved the people and was going to send His only Son, Jesus Christ, to offer a perfect sacrifice for those people. Now, He says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Those are things I delight in. Uh, the, the song that we'll, we have on our, uh, as our, our theme song next week, listen, just, just listen to the first verse. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me. Not all this else. Save that thou art. Just be who you are, God. Be what the Bible, what the gospel describes that you are to me. Thou my best thought. 
by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. I love that. That gives me hope. That gives me that gives me comfort. They, they, when I, that's something I can delight in. That's something I can find joy in. When I commit the gospel to my memory, when I commit the word of our Lord to our memory, and I, and I hide it in my heart. David over in Psalm 119 said the whole psalm is about delighting in the word of God. And I found this one. Verse 97 of Psalm 119. Oh, how love I thy law. With an exclamation point. So you must say it the way David expressed it. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. What do we meditate on all day? What is on our mind? What is consuming our minds so much? What consumed our minds this morning when we came into worship and we were just kind of, the first few minutes we're dragging, we're not really here, our minds are scattered, they're elsewhere. But we gathered to worship today. Our minds should be solely focused on our Lord and what He's done for us and on His Word and and the songs that we sing. You think about, I love to see, we started out with, I love to see the Lord below. I love to see His face. The next one, we sing again from Calm, we wake again from Calm and Sweet Repose. We come here to sing and to worship this morning in Christ alone. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Did we think about the words that we were singing? And I pray, you know, and as I, as I was thinking about uh, studying uh, the purpose of the gospel last night and the many of the things that the word of the Lord, our Lord says to, uh, about the gospel, I think it's important that the songs that we sing are scripturally sound. I think it's more, more important than ever because if we sing songs that are unscriptural, then all of a sudden our minds and our doctrine become unscriptural. And we don't want our minds and our, and our doctrine to become unscriptural. We want to sing scriptural things that continue to lift up the name of the Lord and His work and what He's done for us. Over in Romans chapter 1, we read over there another place where the Apostle Paul was excited about the gospel of Christ. He was ready. He was ready. He's so excited that he's not ashamed about it. And he was ready to preach it to the people at Rome. He was ready. Paul actually said in the Corinthian letter, and I'm going to grab this verse because I think it's important. He said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He delighted so much in the gospel of Christ that he said it was woe unto him if he didn't even preach it. And so he got excited and he wasn't ashamed to go out and minister the gospel. See, what we gather while we gather here to worship today is we not only gather to worship, but we also gather to worship and to learn so that we may all become ministers of the gospel. Ministry is not reserved, and I want to make sure I get this right, from a pastor, elder, teacher standpoint in this position, it is reserved for men, and I get that. But we all ought to be able to minister this gospel to friends and to relatives, to neighbors, to brothers and sisters, whoever you come across. When somebody says, why are you the way you are? Are you delighting in the law of God? Are you happy about what God has done for you and has done for your family and the blessings? I don't think we think about that so much about how blessed we are as God's people. And in Ephesians chapter 1, something I've, high, I've hid in my heart. I'm just going to read it so that I don't mess it up. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. They're in heavenly places and they're all in Christ Jesus. In heavenly places in Christ. So Paul, excited about this gospel, would go over to Romans and he says, So as much as in me I am ready to preach the gospel, verse 15 of Romans 1. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I have to rewind my clock here because I remember a time where my dad said, made, it, made an example of this particular verse. He says, you know, this is not an, uh, a verse where we say that somehow the gospel can born us again. That would be foolish. We don't believe that. But we would say that this gospel is great power to the believer. And so if we had a can of gasoline, and we had a... And it, I actually wrote this down in liters, by the way, for the study for going to Kenya, because they probably use the metric system over there. Uh, so I wrote a liter in my notes. So if we had a gallon of gasoline, we wouldn't just all of a sudden expect that gasoline to turn into an automobile. But it is the power unto that engine of that automobile. And, it's, and so just as the way the gospel is for the believer, for those who believe the Word of God, who commit it and hide it in their heart, who keep it in their memory and who delight in the Word of God, it is great power to the believer. And I'll tell you, I have, I have figured that out over the last few months. Through trial and trouble. I can delight in the word of God. Oh, how I love I thy law and meditate it all the day. Oh, I tell you, if we can learn to meditate and change our attitudes and our minds about how precious the word of God is to us, we just may begin to change the way we want to worship and the way we approach things like singing school and going over to foreign lands to minister the gospel and different things of that nature. But we've got to change the way we delight in the Word of God again. And that's been on my mind the last several weeks. I hope it was good for you this morning. I won't take any more time. But I hope the Lord will bless us next week. And remind everybody that it's not about the mechanics. It's about worship. Next week at singing school is about worshiping and improving our worship for our Lord. So may the Lord bless you. Glad to have each of you here today. And... uh... I'll start to say with uh, Brother Derek and Sammy and Levi here, I'm thankful to have them here on this on Father's Day today, and uh, all all of you here, here also. So don't want to slide anyone. Thankful to have thankful to have my family here with me uh, today, and so hope you'll pray. Appreciate Brother Derek and the the comments that he's made uh, about delighting in God. That's something that uh, in recent months has also been on my mind, and. Uh, thinking about some of the things that we preached about over the last number of months, about fearing God, about the kingdom of God, uh, and about uh, the vision that we should have for our church and for our own lives. Uh, but I, uh, today, and I hope this on, on a, what I think is a, is a cheerful day, happy day, uh, I don't want to, I don't hope my message doesn't, doesn't put like a cloud on anything. Uh, but I think there's a, I think there's a warning for us also in delighting in God. Uh, there's, the Bible also has some warnings, I think, for us that are laid out uh, in, in various places. Uh, and uh, I would like to take a look at one of them, may look across several scriptures, hope, uh, Hope I can do uh, what I think the su- the subject is uh, uh, some 
some justice this morning. Uh, but uh, I'd like to take a look this morning, if I can, at bitterness uh, and what happens to people. Uh, and the warning, I think, what does, what does the word mean for one thing uh, when we find it laid out in scriptures? And then, the Lord willing, we'll look at a couple of examples uh, that we find in God's word, maybe two or three. We'll see if, how the time goes because of trying to cover quite a bit of scripture. Uh, but, you know, the bit, word bitterness we think about, you know, it says in some cases it can be interpreted in God's word, especially when you get to the words bitter and bitter, uh, bitter itself. Uh, it can mean just exactly what it says. The, the waters of Marah, when they, uh, the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, uh, they found they came to the place of Marah and the waters were bitter. Well, it means exactly what it says. It had kind of an acrid taste to it. It kind of uh, had just a... A, a taste that would make you kind of pucker up, I guess, a little bit as you as you try to drink of it. it didn't taste it didn't taste sweet. It didn't taste good. Uh, so, but then we then we look a little bit further at that word bitterness and what it means, and it means like an ang- anguish or a, a extreme sorrow of your soul. It can also mean like in the New Testament, more it means a little bit of a a hatred. Uh, that can come around. So the Bible warns us as we're looking over in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll start there just to grab a portion of Scripture and, uh, and then go back to some examples that I want to look at in the Old Testament. But here in the, here in the New Testament Scriptures, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus uh, tells us as he's talking about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Uh, and as he, as he talks about that, he says in beginning with, uh, uh, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll try to find a, a place to dive into this because this fourth chapter of Ephesians is very good uh, to preach the whole thing. But he says, uh, uh, verse 22 of this uh, fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians says, "...that you put off concerning the former conversation..." The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, so it's talking about after a man's been born again of the Spirit of God, you've maybe begun to see the purpose of the gospel uh, and began to see what uh, Christ has done for you. He says, that's not just a place where you come to and sit down. (laughs) You know, uh, I think sometimes people think, well, hallelujah, I'm born again. I know the Lord and I know I love him and I know he loves me. And man, that's great. And so now what do I do? Well, now you go to work. <laughs> now we go to work as, as God's children trying to uh, uh, improve ourselves, trying to be uh, more uh, loving and more lovable uh, as we live here in this old world. And uh, and as he talks about it, he says, put off the conversations. Uh, uh, Put off concerning the, old, the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, and according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So first of all, start out by getting your mind right. You know, uh, there's never anybody that's done much of anything unless, you, unless you'd thought about it somewhat. Well, I guess people are rash sometimes, but I'm talking, uh, I'm, I'm talking about people actually putting their mind to it and determining ahead of time, this is the course of action I'm going to take. Uh, so he says, get, be renewed first in the spirit of your mind. Set your mind to it to start with. And once your mind is set on it, he said, then get, go to work. And, and that you put off the new man, put on the new man, after, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So your, our, our job, you know, it's not, this is not Mission Impossible. This is not, uh, Tom Cruise coming into the, uh, coming into the, uh, theaters and saying, uh, you know, if you choose to accept the job. No, that's not what we're talking 
talking about. He's given us a commandment that as we see what God has done for us, then we're to put off the conversation and, and, and lifestyle of the old man, which was uh, after the lust of this world, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Begin to put this on as your way of life and your mode of living. He says, wherefore, put, into what, put away what types of things? Wherefore, putting away, you know, and this is not like this is an exhaustive list, you know, of, uh, or that you, that you would, uh, that Paul gives us here. It's not like he tries to cover everything, but he says, put away lying, speak every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Uh, everybody's heard that, you know, over and over and over again. But uh, uh, the idea is don't let your anger just carry on and brood in you so that it uh, carries on and on and on. He says, you know, put put that away. He said, that works on you. <laughs> that begins to work on you the more you think about what you're mad about and what you're angry about. And, yeah, people use that a lot of time with married couples. But I'm telling you, that carries on with us in our everyday life. Uh, not letting anger just sit there and breed and and you know the problem the problem with anger sometimes is uh, it, sometimes we like our anger uh, and we like to feed it well we like to think about it and stoke the fire a little bit on it and we think about it a little bit more and and to, so boy that that made me mad yesterday but boy I think about it I'm just even madder about it today you know and so you just stoke it up he says no no let not the sun go down upon your wrath neither give place to the devil I think that's an important the more we meditate on those kind of things the things that stir us up and stir up our hearts and stir up our minds and uh, stir up our souls uh, the more you do that. He says, "You're giving place to the devil. You're giving him a you're giving him a doorway and and opening it up and and he, a place where he can creep in and begin to plant his seeds of discontent and so forth in your life. And I think you'll see that play out a little bit more as we get over to one of the examples that I would like to look at here here this morning. But he says, "Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. That's really good advice. Uh, <clears throat> no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may." may have to give to him that, that needeth. Now there's a, uh, as Brother Adam's talking about loving your neighbor and working and doing good, he says, instead of stealing, <laughs> use your hands to go out and labor and do some good so that you have something to give to somebody else. He said, instead of, instead of having the former man, the former conversation, go out and do something, labor, work, have something for yourselves. No. <laughs> have something, you know, not only provide for yourself and your family. The man that won't work is worse than an infidel. Uh, or the man that won't provide for his own is worse than an infidel, you know. So we're, we need to keep those things in mind. Uh, that's probably that's one of those roads the country's gone down today, you know. we got people that could work and don't want to work. we got people that can't work. And anyway, and, and, and folks don't want to provide for them like they should. So anyway, but he says, uh, let him that stole steal no more. Rather let him labor working with his own hand with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Boy, if, you'd, if, if we would put that little loop around our conversations, <clears throat> let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. One, uh, but that which is good 
two, and to use uh, the good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So, uh, so we could ask ourselves the question, is what I'm about to say and about what I'm about to let come off the tongue of my, my mouth, is it going to be a grace to the hearers? Is it going to be actually something good to the hearer? Or, or is it a continuation of this anger, this corrupt communications and so forth uh, that we might have? And then verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Uh, that's nice to know, isn't it? That's like a uplifting. But whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. He's not talking about uh, what Christ did on the cross. He's talking about the day you're redeemed, the body, soul, and spirit complete. He says, you're sealed until that day. <laughs> it's not like you're going to fall away. He says, uh, uh, but grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Don't upset. Don't, don't cause anguish. There's that word again. We're talking about bitterness and being an anguish of the soul and so forth. But he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted. Boy, that that'll change a whole lot. That'll change a whole lot of things. Just be tender-hearted. <laughs> be be able to be touched by the feelings of others' problems and others' situations. Learn to be uh, be kind one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. <laughs> That is power-packed, brethren and sisters. Uh, it's it's power-packed to know that the way we're to forgive each other is the same way God forgave us. And it wasn't because you were so good. <laughs> it wasn't because I was so good. It, he, he forgave us for Christ's sake. And that says that's how we're to forgive other people. We're to forgive them not because they came and said, I'm sorry. Not because they came and apologized. Not because they came and groveled to us in some way. Oh, you know. No, we're to forgive them for Christ's sake. And move on. And that's that's the basis of your forgiveness, whether it's uh, whether it's your family, your church, whatever it might be, husbands, wives. Our basis for for forgiveness is not always their actions; it's for Christ's sake. And if we keep that in mind, so anyway, uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and that if you think of bitterness being a hatred. Uh, an anguish of your own soul, a, a terrible sorrow of your own soul, then you'll begin to f uh, begin to focus this around a little bit as we take a look at a couple of uh, of stories over in the Old Testament. Don't uh, I don't know about you? I you know Derek was talking about delighting in the Lord. Uh, there's so many things that we can learn. And, and the Bible is, you know, the Bible's power-packed. <laughs> it's got, I mean, you know, everybody wants to read the latest novel, the latest action, go see the latest action movie. Uh, I'm telling you, the Bible's packed with some stories that are better than anything that's on the screen out there today. Uh, and there's things going on, and you read that and say, wow, did that, that really happen the way that's laid down? And you think about the, uh, the things that are going on. And so uh, one of the places that I want to turn, uh, because... There's a way to, uh, there's, we ought to be able to recognize in ourselves. I guess that maybe that's part of what we're talking, what I'm talking about this morning. Be able to recognize that bitterness is not good. 
hatred, anguish, a sorrow of the soul, it's not good. Sometimes it may seem to be justified in our own minds, uh, but we need to be learning to put away that, uh, those kind of, that kind of thinking from ourselves. And so I want to look at one example where somebody recognized that bitterness was not the, not the trail to go down. <laughs> and, uh, and you think about this, and I think the lesson will be good. Let's turn to 2 Samuel. <clears throat> Now we get into the Old Testament. Oh boy. With the Old Testament. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. And so y'all, y'all pardon me here. I'm going to try to summarize some of this, uh, but we'll try to get to it. You know, in the end of, end of the book of 1 Samuel, uh, we have the, we have the story there, you know. David had been anointed as king of Israel, uh, by, uh, by the prophet Samuel when he was a young, when he was a young, yet still a young man. Uh, out keeping his father's sheep, and you know the story. He went from there uh, out to fight and face Goliath uh, and defeated the Philistine giant that was defying the armies of God. Uh, and But Saul was still king. Even though God had removed him, uh, his blessing on him as being king, he still reigned in the office. Uh, and uh, he became very much a, a bitter man himself, <laughs> uh, anguish of the soul that he faced. And David used to go and play to him. They, somebody was wanting to know, is there somebody that can help soothe the spirit of Saul? And somebody says, I know this young man, David. Man, he's quite a musician. And man, he plays good music. And so he came in and he strummed on his uh, lyre or whatever it was, you know, and uh, his harp and played before Saul. And, and David's music had a way of soothing him and, and his spirit. Uh, well, so we go on through the book of First Samuel there, and you've got where Saul's pursuing David and trying to kill David, and David, uh, you know, was in places and positions where he could have taken Saul's life uh, and withheld himself. You know, he even uh, on one occasion, uh, and, and we think about this because of our trip to Israel. You know, we were at the, uh, we went to made at least a little stop on this time to En Gedi, where the springs are. And I mean, you'd, you'd have to see this land. I mean, it's a, a dry desert country there on the side of the Dead Sea, and boy, over there on the hillside beside the Dead Sea, there's water just pouring off the cliff up there. There's a spring up there, and this En Gedi was the place where David went and camped uh, in the time when he was hiding from from Saul and his armies. And you can see, looking at the place, man, the water's good. I, we didn't get a chance to get any this year, but two years ago when we went, went up there and uh, dipped our, our bottles down in the water and have a good drink of that water ourselves, you know. And uh, you can see the caves there around it where people would have been, could have camped and hid, hid, hid out in those, uh, in those caves there. And so uh, uh, Saul comes looking for David. Uh, and he finds him, uh, uh, and he can't, he camps it in Gedi, and he doesn't know David is there. Uh, and so he's camping out in his cave. David was in the same cave, and he went to the back of the cave and kind of hid while Saul comes in. And so he goes in the night and goes up and clips a piece of the garment of Saul's garment. And uh, the next day, you know, the next day, and I'm kind of summarizing this, but the next day, he, you know, as as he he presents himself before Saul, he says, "Hey, Saul." Look what I got. <laughs> I could have had you last night, buddy. You're out hunting to kill me, but I recognize your position as king, and I will not do any harm to you. So this happened on a couple of different occasions. Anyway, so you fast forward on over to the end of the book of First Samuel, uh, and uh, Saul and his, 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 uh, his sons, Jonathan and so forth, are going out to face the Philistines again. Uh, and as, he, as they face the Philistines, uh, they go into battle. 
uh, and the battle goes bad, and uh, Jonathan's killed, and uh, Saul is wounded, and Saul realizes he's wounded so bad that he's about to be taken captive, and he's like, no way I'm going to be taken captive by the Philistines, and so Saul falls on his own sword and dies, uh, takes his own life rather than be, be, be captured. Well, so yeah, I told all of that to get to this uh Abner, if you go and read about David, David had many mighty men around him. The leaders of his mighty men was a fellow by the name of Joab. Uh, and, but Saul had his mighty men too. And Saul, Saul's leader of his, of his forces and his army was a fellow by the name of Abner. And so you've got a couple of tribes here. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, as we've been looking on... Uh, Wednesday nights, looking at the Old Testament, you know, you get to looking at where the tribes are laid out. Benjamin's area there is north of Jerusalem, and Judah's is kind of around Jerusalem. It's south of Jerusalem, and so uh, Saul's family was from the, Saul was a Benjamite. And so uh, as we look at that, that'll help you maybe understand some of what we're talking about here as we get into this story in Second Samuel. So, so Abner was a mighty man that was the, the leader of Saul's armies, and, and it says it came to pass, uh, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1, came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said unto Hebron. And David went thither, and his two wives, uh, Ahinam and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Nabal's wife, the uh, uh, <clears throat> Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite, and his men that were that were with him, did David bring up every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there and there, and anointed David a king over the house of Judah. So David's first step now that Saul is gone, <laughs> David's first step, I guess, of kind of becoming the king of Israel from a from a natural standpoint was God sent him up to Hebron. Uh, the men of, of Judah came up there and anointed him as king over Judah. Just just Judah at this point in time. And they, they told David, saying that the men of Jabesh-Gilead uh, were were they that buried Saul. So uh, if you remember the story, I'll go back and retell a little bit of this. When Saul was killed, he was, uh, he was killed by the Philistines. And the Philistines went and took Saul's body and everything and... Nailed him to a wall at Beth Shean. <laughs> uh, they were they were really you know you talk about all these rough war warfare fair movies and everybody boy go back and write a write a story about this you know everybody so you go right to the Bible and you can get a story and say ooh that's gory uh, yep they went and nailed him to the wall and the men of Jabesh Gilead came at night. Because, and there's a whole story behind this. JBS, Saul had delivered them from some of their some of their opponents at one point in time. I believe it was the Ammonites, and so. Jabesh Gilead felt they felt they owed something to uh, uh, to Saul, and when they found out Saul is dead and what the Philistines had done, they went at night and got his body off the wall, and they went and buried him there, there at Jabesh Gilead. So uh, they, after he was after David was anointed over the house of Judah, uh, it says that that the men of Jabesh Gilead were they that buried Saul, and David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh Gilead and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord that ye have showed kindness unto your Lord even even unto Saul and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. And I also will require you this kindness because ye have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strong and be valiant, uh, for your master Saul is dead, and, I, and the house of Judah hath anointed me, hath anointed me king over them. So uh, Saul is dead. 
I've been anointed king over Judah. I'm saying that I'm blessing you guys uh, uh, because of what y'all have done for Saul. And he says, but Abner, the son of Ner, now this is the leader of Saul's armies, but Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, yeah, Ishbosheth, the the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahan. Mahananim, and made him king over Gilead, and over the Asherites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all of Israel. So Abner went and got Saul's son. He anointed him to be king of Israel. Okay, so you kind of get the picture of what's going on here. And Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years, and the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And Abner, the son of Ner, and the son of uh, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out of Mahanaim to Gibeon, and, and Joab, the son of Zeruiah, the servants of David, went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. So now you got Abner, who is the leader of Saul's armies, and the leader of Ibasheth's armies and, and, and Joab are meeting in this place called Gibeon and they sat down the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool and Abner said unto Joab let the young men now rise and play before us and Joab said let them arise <laughs> and, the th- and there arose and went uh, over by number twelve of Benjamin now this is important see uh, because that means there was twelve of Joab's I mean of, of Abner's men from Benjamin that got up and went over to play, and and uh, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David, and they caught every one his fellow by the head, and thrust his sword in his fellow's side, and they fell down together. Wherefore that place is called Hel Kathazarim, uh, which is in Gibeon, and that uh, simply means uh, the field of the strong, the field of the strong men. So. The 12 from Benjamin and the 12 from David's forces, they go over to kind of like, uh, they says, hey, let them get up and play for us. And when they got over there, David's men took the men of Benjamin and killed them right there on the spot. Okay, that's that's what happened. And it says, there was a sore battle that they were, there was a very sore battle that day. And Abner was beaten and the men of Israel before the servants of David. So they had a big fight. Uh, and so forth, and David's men killed uh, Abner's men, or Joab's men killed Abner's men, and there was three sons of Zerah there. So Zerah is Joab's father, and so Joab was there with his two brothers. And it says Abishai and Ashiel, and Ashiel was as light of foot as a wild road. Don't you like some of these stories? What does that mean? It means he could run like a deer. <laughs> he was light of foot and like a like a roe. He could bounce along the mountains and dance and run like a deer up. A, I mean, he was he was a he was a goer and doer. This is Joab's brother, and Ashel pursued after Abner. So they've had this battle. They've had this fight. Now Joab's brother, who's the fast runner, he takes out after Abner uh, and to try to pursue him and going in not. And in going, he turned not to the right hand or the left hand from following Abner. I mean, he was fixed. He was going straight for that man. He was going to take that man down, uh, the one that was leading the armies of Ishbosheth. And so uh, it says, uh, Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Ashiel? And he answered, I am. And Abner turned, and Abner said to him, 
turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left hand, and lay thee hold of one of the young men, and take thee his armor. But Ashel would not turn aside from following him. He says, you're my man, Abner. I'm going to get you. Uh, we're going to put an end to all this thing. And he says, well, Abner says, you need to turn to the right or the left, and you need to get some armor on you, because we're fixing to go to battle here right now. And Abner said again to Ashel, turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? If I have to kill you, fella, how am I going to look at Joab? I know Joab. Joab knows me. We have a respect between each other as leaders of these two armies. And if you don't turn aside, I'm going to have to kill you. And if I kill you, how can I look Joab in the face? And say, I killed your brother. Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner with the hinder end of the spear smote him under the fifth rib. Me and Brother Bucky's had that discussion. We don't know exactly what that means. But it must be a bad place to stab somebody. Uh, So he smote him under the fifth rib. That probably puts you pretty close to the heart and the lungs is what it it does. Uh, So he smote him under the fifth rib that the spear came out behind him. He's, I know y'all are sitting there saying, what kind of Father's Day message is this? Anyway, so, <laughs> so he stuck him under the ribs and it went all the way through is what it amounts to. And he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Ashel fell down and died, stood still. They had a respect for him too. And Joab and Abishai pursued after Abner. Now Joab and his other brothers say, okay, here we go. He's killed our brother. Let's go get him. Joab and Abishai pursued after Abner. And the sun went down when they were come to the hill of Amah that lieth before Giah uh, by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin, that's Abner's folks, the, the forces that Abner had with him, the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop, troop and stood on the top of the hill. Now this, I mean, so they get everybody together. They're standing on the top of the hill looking down at, at, uh, at Joab and his brother that's pursuing after them. And then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Are we going to play this game like I kill one of yours, you kill one of mine, and I kill one of yours, and you kill... Is this little little game just going to go on and on and on and on? And Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not it will be bitterness in the latter end? Don't you know it's just going to be sorrow and anguish and pain and hatred? Don't you know if we keep doing tit for tat one to the other... Do you get? Do you see how that relates back to what we were talking about earlier? Bitterness can be a bad thing when you don't let when you don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, and you just abide and abide and abide. Uh, uh, this man, this this fellow that can run like a deer, man, he took off after him. Uh, but Abner warned him and said, "Listen, I'm going to have to kill you if you keep coming for me." And he did, and he did. And then Abner's forces stand up and look at Joab and says, we got to put a stop to this. You know how you end the fussing and the fighting and the bitterness and the carrying on? You put a stop to it. You say, we're not going to do this. We're not just going to keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. You put a stop to it. 
And that's what Abner did that day. He said, listen, man, are we just going to keep on? Is the sword going to be devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it then ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren? And Joab said, as God liveth, unless thou hadst spoken... Surely then in the morning the people had gone up, everyone from following his brother. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the people stood still, and pursued, and pursued after Israel no more, neither fought they any more. And Abner and his men walked all night through the plain and passed over Jordan. They went home. Joab and his men, they went home. And they said, sometimes... And that goes on and says, if you keep on reading... Israel and, Israel and Judah kept on fussing and fighting a little bit over the next number of years till finally they anointed, uh, they anointed David as king over all of Israel. But you know how you stop a fuss and a fight? Sometimes you just put a stop to it and say, we're not going to keep doing this anymore. Bitterness and sorrow and hatred can just eat you up. I got time. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I hope as we as we talk about this, like I said, kind of a, maybe so, like a weird subject. But you know, sometimes we have to know while while we need the happiness and joy and delighting in the Lord, we need to know what the opposite can bring to us. We need to know what the other hand is, right? And we know how to, we need to know how to put a stop to it. So let's look here at first uh, first Samuel chapter one. Now there was a certain man of <laughs> yeah. Here we are. This word, one of these words again. Ramoth. Emozimphim. <laughs> yeah, y'all figure that one out. Uh, Ramatha Emozophim and the Mount of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. I got that one. All right. Uh, so Elkanah lived uh, lived in this mountain, the Mount of Ephraim. He was the son of Joraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, uh, and Ephrathite. And he and his two wives, uh, named, the name of one was Hannah, and the, and the name of the other was Penina. And Padina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up to the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, and the priests of the Lord were there. And the time was that Elkanah offered to give to Padina his wife and to her sons and her daughters. So she didn't just have a, a few sons. She had sons and daughters, and Hannah had none. And unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. I want you to, I want you to stop. I, 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 this kind of one of those things that kind of hit me uh, as I was looking at this, uh, rereading this again, and and it realized uh, uh, it tells us that Elkanah loved Hannah, which kind of says, on the other hand, it doesn't say he didn't like Penina, but is obvious his love for Hannah was was much greater than that for Penina. But the Lord had blessed Penina uh, to have children. I want you to take I want you to take your clocks and dial it back over to about the 29th, 30th chapters of the book of uh, Genesis, and I want you to be reminded of a man by Jacob uh, who uh, who worked seven years for a lady by the name of Rebecca because he loved Rebecca, uh, and his old uh, father-in-law Laban pulled a fast one on him, uh, uh, and uh, when uh, he went in on his wedding night, lo and behold, when he woke up the next morning, uh, it was Leah that was there with him and not Rebecca. Uh, you can go back and look at it. It's kind 
kind of interesting. Uh, uh, after working seven years, uh, uh, Jacob went to Laban and says, it's time for you to give me my wife now. <clears throat> uh, he didn't say for you to give me Rebecca. Uh, he said, give me my wife, which I've worked seven years for. Laban says, hey, we can do this. Uh, so he gave him Leah. Uh, but uh, but he really, he's, of course, he's in shock the next morning when he gets up after his wedding night and says, this is Leah. What's she doing here? <clears throat> and uh, because he loved Rebecca. And he went, to, he went to his father-in-law and his father-in-law says, if you'll complete the week, the honeymoon week, he says, I'll give you Rebecca also, but you need to work another seven years. Uh, and he did, uh, because he loved Re- loved Rebecca so much. His love, it's the Bible says, he loved Rebecca and he hated Leah. God gave Leah children, closed up Rebecca's womb. I don't know that these two stories are related, but they could be <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so here we have a man by the name of Elkanah. He's married to two ladies. Uh, he, he had a special love for Hannah. Hannah had no children. Penina had sons and daughters. Uh, but uh, but uh, Elkanah continued to be good to Hannah and gave her a worthy portion as they would go up to make their yearly sacrifice. Even though she had no sons and no daughters, he gave her a special blessing to her. And it says... Uh, uh, <clears throat> Uh, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion. He loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore. Panina rode her to no end. Yeah, he may give you a worthy portion, but I'm the one that has the children, and he really, you know, this is, she just stayed after her, no doubt. I mean, you know, you just the word adversary. It was her adversary. Her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret uh, because the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, her adversary also could have been the devil, who would have been a very worthy adversary to provoke her to fret. But anyway, uh, as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she, so she provoked her. So there it tells you exactly who the adversary is. Every year when they went up to the house of the Lord, Panina was provoking Hannah uh, and riding on her. She provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. And said, uh, and then said Elkanah to her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou and why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Aren't I good to you? Haven't I been good to you in spite of the fact that God hasn't blessed you to have children like he has, Panina? Haven't I been better to you than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. And now Eli, the priest, sat on the seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. She was in anguish, sorrow. I mean, have you ever been so hurt and so downcast that, I mean, it just... It was just in your in your bosom, in your soul. She had a bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Okay, so so I'm going to present to you a couple of, a couple of ideas as we wrap this up. One way you put an end to bitterness is you just stop it. That's what that's what Abner did, and that's what Joab did in their day. Another way you put an end to bitterness is you drop down on your knees. And you began to pray. 
Hannah rose up after she had eaten Shiloh and after she had drunk. And Eli the priest sat upon a seat. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look upon my afflictions uh, on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give to thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor, the Nazarite oath, there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued to pray uh, before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. And Hannah, and now Hannah, she spake in her heart, and only her lips, lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk with wine and so forth. Uh, but the Lord blessed her with a child, and his name was Samuel, the very prophet of the Lord who ended up being the one that anointed David as king and the one that went on to write these beautiful, beautiful books that were raised up. Uh, sometimes in life, it's easy to just get bitter. <laughs> it's easy for us just to let anger and bitterness and hatred get the best of us. But like Abner, we can just put a stop to it and say, we can't keep on just killing each other back and forth. Or we can be like Hannah in her day. who was so bitter because of her adversary. She went and, and sought the Lord in earnest prayer and desired, Oh, Lord, just bless me. If you'll bless me with a child, I'll give this child to you all the days of his life. And she followed through on that as you continue reading there in First Samuel. What a wonderful example of Hannah and her prayer and how she followed through with her pledge. Can you imagine any of us that's got a child? Imagine if, you, if it was your first child after many years of waiting for a child and somehow you were willing to say, Lord, if you'll just give me this child, I'll give him to you. And that meant taking him from her house when he, she, he was a little boy and taking him up to Eli, uh, the priest, and leaving him there. And only she came and visited him year after year and brought him a coat all that time. So anyway, I trust that as we go throughout this new, uh, this further year, uh, that we'll say, you know what? I'm not going to let bitterness eat me up. I'm going to put a stop to it. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer about it. And I'm not going to let bitterness be something that takes hold of me. But I'm going to rather forgive, like God says, for Christ's sake and move forward. May God bless you uh, to think about this and meditate upon this in the coming days.